everyone. Thanks for listening to the Honor Yoga Now podcast. We're bringing you knowledge, awareness, and inspiration, taking yoga off the mat and into your daily life. I'm your host, Amy Taza, and thanks for listening. So I have some Honor Yoga happenings that I wanted to tell you guys about really quick. So we had three new studios that opened this weekend. And the first one is uh, Flemington, and that's in New Jersey. Harper's Point in Ohio and Laylee, and I hope I'm saying that right, Laylee in Florida. So I wanted to welcome you guys to the Honor Yoga family. And also go to honoryoga.com and you can click the, um, the location box and you'll see all of our studios. So check them out and see which one is closest to you so you can um, go in take a class. <laughs> so today I'm sitting with my good friend, Sarah Nicholson. Sarah is a yoga teacher and um, you're currently teaching in Princeton, right? Yep. I teach at the Honor Yoga Princeton location. Yes. And um, I'm so happy to have uh, Sarah on the uh, podcast. She just makes me smile. <laughs> so thank you for being here. You're welcome. So Sarah, tell me uh, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, what are you teaching in Princeton? And I know you have a big philosophy background. <laughs> I do. So I studied philosophy and political science at Rutgers University. Okay. And I concentrated a lot on ethical theory. And mm. that sort of led me into um, what they term virtue ethics ethics, which is really mm -hmm. sort of the more religiously spirituality-based okay. ethical theory. So I fell into uh, Eastern philosophy pretty easily, okay. and that's how I sort of backed my way into yoga. Okay. And so I've been practicing yoga for 17 years. Okay. And I have been teaching for three. Mm -hmm. I was certified through Honor Yoga's 200 Hour with Kathy Medeo oh. in Princeton. So yeah. her very first. Was that her first? That was, was her first training. Very first studio? training mm -hmm. in Princeton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I teach roots. I teach restorative yoga, and I teach yin yoga. I also love to teach strong income yoga. Um, so my roots classes are really kind of strong income Um Yeah, but I'm also certified to do it all. I love it all. Yeah. So when I'm sort of like the pitch pinch hitter. Right, right, right. <laughs> awesome. So one of the reasons why I invited Sarah to be a guest on the podcast, because I was going through your... Um, beautiful Instagram. It's just so pretty, you know? Um, Thank you. And I saw you were doing the workshop, a workshop on building a home practice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, going back and forth, I was like, oh, let me text Sarah and see if she wants to be on the podcast. So thankfully you said yes. And when I was really thinking about the um, podcast and like, you know, a little outline that I usually do and like questions that I like to ask. And in my head, I really thought that it would just be kind of like routine, rolling out your mat making shapes, doing some breath work, um, you know, maybe a little meditation, you know, kind of how to stay with it. And then you sent me your PDF, which was this <laughs> well thought out, beautifully illustrated 20 page outline, which I was like, oh wow. And you know, I was so impressed because it wasn't just because it looked pretty, but there was so much content in there. I'm like, okay. I was like, wow, I think this podcast is going to be a little bit more. <laughs> so, um, yes. And really I thought of when I was, re when I was going through it and, and how you explain the, um, the, you know, the Amas and the Neams and the whole Elam path, how it's really building a lifestyle, right? Through the Elam path. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. And I was just like, it was kind of like a light bulb went off and I was like, well, that's true. Right? Literally taking yoga off of your mat, but I never thought of it as a home practice. Right? Yeah. So, go. So, <laughs> go. <laughs> so, when I was building this workshop, I really thought about the kind of yoga that I practice at home. And yes, I do have a daily posture practice, mm -hmm. but it's pretty small. Um, and my practice is more centered around the eight limbs of yoga, of which the posture practice is only one, and it is not even the first limb or the second, the second limb. limb. Mm -hmm. So when we think about yoga, and especially when I think about what I want my students to take away from my class, 
I want them to have done their asana practice for the day with me mm -hmm. or in a studio or maybe a little small bit at home mm -hmm. working on stuff that they want to work on. But I also want them to know that they can practice yoga without doing any postures yes. if they want. Yeah, they that's could, important. Yeah, they could practice yoga doing one posture. Right. They could practice yoga doing 45 postures. Mm -hmm. but. It's important to realize that yoga is much, much bigger than the 60 minutes that we get with our students in class. Yes, yes, and and, and too, it, it's true, or what I find is a lot of people come to yoga, that's like their doorway through the postures, through the asana. And then, you know, as they take their classes and, you know, and the teacher can just sprinkle a little bit here and there, again, with a 60 minute class, you know, hopefully their mind starts to open and they get curious about other things. Right, and that is 100% my goal. I always, you actually recently took one of my classes. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> and I always start my classes with five to seven minutes of Dharma talk, which mm -hmm. is talking about the origins of yoga, connecting everyday life to the primary text of yoga, which I have with me. <laughs> Show us. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. My favorite translation is Sri Swami Sachidananda. I always need two tries for that. <laughs> Sri Swami Sachidananda. Uh, I think that translation is, is really good. Mm -hmm. But the reality of the Yoga Sutras is that they were written thousands of years ago in Sanskrit, yeah. and every translation has something different to offer. Mm -hmm. And I've read a few different translations. So um, I try to take a Yoga Sutra or something that I saw on Instagram or something that's happened in my life that week yeah. and relate it directly somehow to the primary text of yoga. Because I think it's really important that we all understand that what we're practicing in our studios is a small part of what really is a lifestyle practice. True. Yes. Yes. And this kind of gives you a base. Yeah. Right? I love that. Like yes. a go-to. Yes. And it tells you in its way, everything that you need to know to live a healthy, well-rounded, respectful life, mm -hmm. kind of like any format of moral living, however yeah. you wanted to follow it in that way, or spiritual mindful living. Mm -hmm. um, and again, these prioritize first the yamas and the niyamas. So those two things are limbs one and two. Yes. And then come the things that we practice together in the studio after that. Right. Ultimately leading to the practice of one pointed focus mm -hmm. so that we can achieve states of meditation. Yeah. So that's kind of, I really wanted to center my building the home practice workshop on that, which is why I put that as sort of the first yes, thing that, that I taught. That's, and, and, and again, we were talking about that and you said that's like the one that you found that was kind of the most right. explanatory. So right? like, the model, and I'll show the camera, the model that I have found that is one of the best models that I've found on the internet here, um, is from alisonhinksyoga.com. Hinks, mm -hmm. And she really did a very good job with this, um, being picky and um, just with the knowledge that I have. There's a couple of translations that yes, I, yes. I wanted to redo a little bit on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so we can talk about what each of these things are. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about what we talked about. We oh, I'm so in, um, Whole Foods. That's great. So, <laughs> and I was choked. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So the first limb of yoga are the yamas, which translates from Sanskrit to English as restraints. So that is, that's a pretty good translation. Yeah. Yamas, restraints. Mm -hmm. The first one is the one that we most often talk about as yoga teachers and in a yoga studio. It's ahimsa. And the translation for that that Allison Hanks gives is non-harming, which I agree with. I think yeah. that's true. Yes. And non-harming comes in many different forms. And in the studio, most likely, you have heard your teacher use this word when you feel pain or when a pose is really difficult and you need to 
take yeah, a child's child. pose yes, yeah. um, or back off into mm -hmm. a different variation or use a prop or mm -hmm. choose a different posture completely. That's practicing ahimsa. But another example of practicing ahimsa might be like recycling mm -hmm. or like reducing the amount of time that you drive in your car mm -hmm. or perhaps um, helping your neighbor bring her groceries upstairs or his groceries upstairs yes, or their yes, groceries upstairs. Yes, yes. So uh, non-harming non also means kindness. Mm. So the second one is satya, which is non-lying, or if you put it in a, in a positive verbal spin, it is honesty. And this includes white lies. <laughs> so like, yeah. how many times have you been in a room doing a thing and somebody says, are you okay? And you say, I'm fine. That likely is a lie. Yeah, it's a white lie. And so we need to really pull apart our language and our own truths and mm -hmm. our own truthfulness mm -hmm. so that we can get to the root of what our own honesty looks like. Mm -hmm. Because being honest doesn't mean that you need to tell everyone every single thing about your life. There is still such a thing as personal privacy yeah. and respecting your personal privacy. But if you're not okay, maybe there's an answer to, are you okay? That is more truthful, like, hmm. I don't really want to talk about that right now. Right. So an authentic answer to a question and then however that other person responds is not really your responsibility. Mm. You just kind of need to. Yes. Cause society is like, we always, it, it, sometimes you feel like you always don't want to make someone feel bad. Right. Right. Or just kind of maybe put your own feelings aside, even like little white lies and stuff just to appease someone else. Or to smooth over a situation. Yeah. But, what yoga tells us in our posture practice is that we breathe through our discomfort, mm -hmm. right? So why, why do these other things, um, why are those other things exceptions? I don't think they are. I think that they are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that you grow within each of these yamas and niyamas just as much as you grow through your posture practice, your pranayama yes. practice. So all of these things can be uncomfortable, but it's leading to your own evolution and growth as a human. Yes. So the third yama is asteya, which is non-stealing. So this one's really interesting, right? So like, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm it not going to steal. Yeah, it means, okay, don't steal things. But <laughs> I think when we were talking before... I said something else that could be thought of as stealing is like being late. You're stealing someone's mm. time, right? Yes. Or um, taking too much of something. Uh, like you gave an example of sugar packets. Sugar packets, <laughs> yes. It's like taking sugar packets. Yeah. It is totally. If you're taking more sugar packets than you're going to use in this exact moment, like it is stealing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it also actually leads us into the next yama, yes. which is brahmacharya. Now this one, Allison Hanks gives of Brahma as the translation, which, okay, sure. Yes, that's the direct translation mm -hmm. of brahmacharya from Sanskrit to English. But what it really means to me is moderation. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a lot of schools of yoga, especially in the Tantra yoga and the Karma yoga tradition, will say that this means chastity, mm. but I don't think that that word has the correct connotation here. I think that it is not as inclusive of a word yes. as Patanjali meant when he said brahmacharya. Yeah. So I think moderation is a far better word. And this is internal moderation, right? We don't want to go too hard. We don't want to be too lazy. We don't want to drink too much. Mm. Maybe a glass of wine's okay. Yeah. Um, we want to be gentle with ourselves, and we don't want to overindulge. And I think that that goes for everything in our life, right? Our work-life balance, yes. for example. Yes. Um, 
how much time we're spending with our family versus our friends. Sometimes those two things can be at odds. Yeah. How much time we spend awake versus asleep, mm -hmm. right? There's so many ways to find that Balance. in the dichotomy yeah. of life. Yeah. So the last yama is a parigraha, which Again, Alison Hanks translates as non-hoarding, which, okay, that's a good translation, but it really, uh, a more encompassing definition might be non-possessiveness uh, non, non or, or um, lost my words. It's okay. Aparigraha means... I would love to give you a hint. Non-attachment. <laughs> yes, yes, non-attachment. <clears throat> Thank you. So aparigraha, the fifth yama means non-attachment. And so that said, in life, in this life, yeah. because of the virtue of being human, which is a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. we do have attachments. And of course we do. Of course we have attachments. Of course. I mean, like, I love my husband. I am so attached to my husband. Right. But in noticing that I'm attached to my husband, his mood affects my mood, right? Yes. His difficulties affect the way that I move through my life. And what the yamas say is that we should notice this and reduce it. Yeah. So we should be reducing the amount of things or the number of things that we are like super attached to. And I was reading a book by Deepak Chopra called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Yoga the did other you day. Did on your Instagram? I did. <laughs> on my Instagram. Um, thank you. <laughs> I love having fans. Um, and he put this pretty succinctly uh, in a way that I had never thought of before. He said in his book, give up the need to defend your point of view. Mm. So like how attached are we to our lens? Yes. I mean, sure, it's the only one that we have. But if we practice a parigraha and practice deep listening to other people, that's a type of really beautiful non-attachment mm -hmm. that maybe will help us evolve in our life. Yes. So that's that's the yamas, there's five of them. Yes, and, and <laughs> it, it goes so much to your home practice. Yes. You know, not just in your home, but it's so much a part of that. Yes, it's so much a part of the way that you move through life and when people ask me, do you practice yoga every day? Yes, I practice yoga every day. Does that mean that I do postures every day? Mostly, but sometimes no. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my yoga is in these first two limbs. Yeah. So the second limb of yoga is the niyamas, and they are translated as observances. So the first niyama is saucha, and Alison Hanks translates this as cleanliness, but maybe a more comprehensive definition would be purity. Yes. So cleanliness, yeah, sure, it means, you know, clean, clean. <laughs> yeah. yourself and your spaces. <laughs> Right? Yes. Because that does benefit other people. Yep. And it benefits yourself. And it benefits yourself. But it also means to think about the things that you consume, all of the things that come in through your five senses, and making sure that they are of the best possible good for yourself. And I don't get preachy about this kind of thing because I don't live in your body. So yeah. I don't know what's best for your body. But making the most ethical decisions about, for example, what you eat. So like if you eat meat, maybe you think about getting your meat, if you can, from a place where the people take really good care of those animals. Yes. And there are only better choices. Nothing is bad. No choice that you make is inherently bad. That's not, it's not fair to say that. It's only when you know better, you do better. And it's just sort of like moving your way up yes. the ladder. And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. So cleanliness or purity is very all-encompassing. We think about the music that we listen to. We think about the food that we eat. We think about the television we watch. Mm. P.S. The Sopranos is my favorite show in the whole <laughs> world. So like, I mean, we could definitely go there. 
Um, but don't you feel, for example, don't you feel when you wake up in the morning, if the first thing that you do is open Facebook Ooh. and there's a whole bunch of shitty stuff that happened yeah. that day, doesn't your day start off a little shitty. A little shitty, right? <laughs> so like what would happen if instead of waking up in the morning and looking at Facebook, we decided to make a decision out of purity and just be silent for a few minutes. Yeah, just wake up. Yeah, and just wake up and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So that's Saucha. The second one is Santosha, and this one's actually really, really easy. It's contentment. And I know that that doesn't sound very easy. <laughs> I was going to say content. Yeah. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound very easy, but contentment is actually one of the things that Eastern and Western medicine agree on fully in that having a gratitude practice will cultivate contentment for you in your life. And it will increase every day that you can do this. So this is something that I actually do on Instagram now. Yes, I say it. Yeah, I have moved my gratitude practice from a journal mm -hmm. to Instagram so that I can share it with people. And I've gotten a lot of really nice feedback about doing that. I think that making that visible for people and tangible for people um, shows them that like, yeah, you can totally do this every day. It takes two minutes. It takes yes. two minutes to do it every day. And B, they get to know me more as a person when, mm -hmm. when they get to read my gratitude, the things that I'm grateful for, when I'm grateful for like, I think the other day I wrote really old Gouda. <laughs> yeah, I promise I'm not fishing simple. for Christmas presents, but <laughs> if a cheese fairy wants to bring me really old Gouda, that's okay. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> so contentment is really, really easy to cultivate. But that said, there are choices that we need to make in our lives in this world that perhaps go against what we be, become grateful for or what we see as best for us and our bodies like sometimes people have to do a job that they hate yeah and sometimes people have to live somewhere that they hate or um, not have a home at all yeah. and these are the realities of our situation but there are a lot of Western uh, psychiatrists, psychologists who have talked about gratitude practice, even in the worst of circumstances, being the thing that raises contentment and general life satisfaction. Yeah. So a gratitude practice is across the board one of the best things that you can do. And if you if you take one thing away from this podcast in a home practice, if it's that you start a gratitude journal, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will find more contentment, more Santosha in your life. Yes, yes. And even if you don't have uh, Instagram or you don't want to put on Instagram, you can get a notebook by your bed, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe jot a few things down. You could use the yeah. notes app in your phone. The notes app in your phone, yeah. So easy. You know, and just writing it down and maybe saying it out loud, it just helps, you know, maybe yeah. to lift your spirit and yep. maybe fill your heart just a bit. And it doesn't even have to be anything big. Yeah. It doesn't exactly. have to be anything big. I mean, literally, I just told you that one of the things I was grateful for was cheese. But, like, it could be... Uh, that you have a bed, mm -hmm. right? These are things that we take for granted sometimes. Yes. Um, so yeah, gratitude practice, do it. Okay. It's awesome. <laughs> the third niyama is tapas, and Allison Hanks translates this as zeal for yoga, which I think is a really like <laughs> actually kind of awesome translation. It is not what that word means in Sanskrit. <laughs> the word tapas in Sanskrit means to burn. And really what Allison is talking about in Zeal for Yoga is discipline, which is another translation for this word. So the way that you would relate burning with discipline is that you become so focused on your practice of yoga that it burns away all of the other things that burns no crazy. longer it burns <laughs> crazy that no longer serve you. It burns away all of those things that are not serving your highest good. So tapas means discipline. So we have these two 
things that are seemingly at odds here, right? We've got discipline in our niyamas and we've got brahmacharya or moderation in, in I'm sorry, that's switched. So we have tapas in our niyamas and brahmacharya in our yamas. So brahmacharya meaning moderation and tapas meaning discipline. Yeah. So like, like contradicting. Yeah, it may it might feel that way. It might feel that way. But I think what it means is that in our discipline, we have to allow for some compassion. Mm. So, sure. Daily practice of yoga, amazing. What happens if you have pneumonia? Like what happens if right. you have an emergency surgery or a relative dies mm -hmm. or you just don't feel like doing it today? Mm. That has to be okay sometimes. Yeah. Because it's not realistic for us to have this fiery practice every single day of our lives. Now, that said, I think that once you understand what the eight limbs of yoga are, you can have a practice every day. It just might not look like the exact same practice every day. Yes, yes. It's just like a little pinch of this, a little pinch of that, mm -hmm. depending on what you need and what you can do. Right. You know, when you don't feel good, maybe you shouldn't be doing a handstand. Yeah, good thing. Or, or yeah, and, and it too, like, it, it could be, it could go with seasons. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that is what Ayurveda says. Yes. So yes. the sister science to yoga, Ayurveda, it was, was developed in India. And it is a seasonally based practice. practice. And so... Um, and there are three seasons yeah. in Ayurveda, and you're supposed to move through those three seasons respecting what those three seasons do to your body right, right, or how you your body, yeah. exactly, or mm -hmm. how your body moves through them. So ideally, you would have a practice that changes yeah. every four months. Yeah. And you know, it could be a, a practice that changes with your schedule, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like one of my friends is a teacher, and she has a really um, strong we'll call it home practice mm -hmm. and it changes when she's in school opposed to when she's not in school so it, it is you're right like everything in moderation you know you mm -hmm. have that discipline but you have to allow you know maybe just to veer off a little bit give yourself that permission to say okay this is okay if I don't do it today yes right but you know just yes and, and it doesn't make you any less of a yogi and it doesn't make you any less of being on this journey we're all on this journey of yoga mm -hmm. every single person in the whole wide world even if they don't know what yoga is yeah. yet so yes it's we are all here together and it just needs yeah like just a little bit of grace mm -hmm. just a little bit of grace yes um so there are two more niyamas Niyama number four is Svadhyaya, which means self-study, and that's the perfect translation for it. So self-study is really important, right? <laughs> I mean, we do this a lot in our posture practice. Mm. What does this feel like? Where is my breath? What am I thinking? What am I doing with my freaking left foot? Right, exactly. <laughs> Why so does my we, body don't look like her? Right, yeah, oh. right. But even that is coming out of your lens a little bit. Mm -hmm. So even just like bringing it way more in. Pigeon pose makes me want to cry. Information to file away for later. I really mm -hmm. hate chair pose. <laughs> information to file away for later. But all of these pieces of information are really great. So for example, when you're driving in your car, how do you feel when you're driving in your car? Depends. <laughs> so, like, if you're depends driving if to get car. somewhere fast, or it depends. Right. So, but there's always this thing in your mind going and going, this wheel spinning, talking to you, right? And so, Svadhyaya is really the study of that thing, the thing which thinks. It's a study of your own brain. Yeah, yeah. So, what is my brain thinking right now? And how can I reduce the amount of chatter? in your brain. And that's when the next practices come in, mm -hmm. which is super great. So self-study is amazing and we can do that constantly. Yeah. Why did I say that? You know? Yeah. Why did I do that thing? Why did I have that third glass of wine? <laughs> you know, like all of these asking questions of ourselves is a thing that we do naturally as humans, but trying to take away 
the lens of someone else looking at us is our self-study. Our self-study is about what do I think about me? What do I notice about me? Not how do I fit in with others? Yeah. And then the last one of the niyamas here is Ishvara Pranidahana. Ishvara Pranidahana. It's a very difficult word to say. Um, Alison Hinks translates it as surrender, which is the Pranidahana part. She skipped the Ishvara part. Ishvara in Sanskrit means God. And this is where... Um, this is where I find students have the most trouble kind of grasping onto this concept of surrender to God because the word God is triggering. Yeah. It really is. Yes. And so I want to be clear that this concept of God is not um, the man in the sky floating on a cloud God. Yes. That's not what this concept of God is. Not that that's any more wrong or any more right than any other conception of God. What this is, is that energy of the universe that connects all of us, that resides within us. Yeah. So when this was written, when the Yoga Sutras were written, the concept of God and the soul were almost the same thing. So there was non-dualism, meaning mm -hmm. that some people really did think that we were God, fingers of God is what mm -hmm. they would say. And then there's dualism, there's God and there's us, right? So this is somewhere in between, this concept of Ishvara is somewhere in between. So it is surrender to a higher power, yeah. whatever that higher power might be for you, mm -hmm. right? So like, what if your higher power is physics? What if your higher power is, okay, I know that energy cannot be stopped. I know that it has to continue or be transmuted, mm -hmm. that it cannot just end. That's the rule of physics. Yeah. That's a really cool higher power to surrender to. Or maybe your concept of God is female or genderless mm -hmm. or not a creator type, but love, yeah. right? So all of these things, sort of like insert your favorite pronoun here. Um, so that's that's surrender to your higher power. So that's covered the yamas and the niyamas. And for me, that was most of my home practice workshop <laughs> was teaching folks what these 10 different concepts were. And they loved, loved, loved that part. You know, it's, it's eye-opening. You, know, you know, going back from the beginning, you know, I home practice on your mat, you know, just moving the body, right? But it is so much more, mm -hmm. you know, and I really have to thank you for being on and, 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 and sharing this, you know, because we talk about so much taking yoga off of the mat, mm -hmm. right, and incorporating this, but it is a lifestyle. It's building a lifestyle. It is, and, and Patanjali was really smart when he designed this as the primary text, right? So he talks about thanks what you can do. Yeah, really, <laughs> thanks, Patanjali. Um, first, the yamas, which is how you interact with yourself, then the niyamas, how you interact with the world, and then he gives you practices that help keep your body healthy. So he says, here are the things that you need to do in order to be a good person, basically. And now let me give you four more things that you, you should do in order to keep your body and your mind healthy because you've started doing these things and that's led you to a point of being able to do asana, being able to do your postures. And then let's get po posture practice, breath practice, sense withdrawal, and intense focus into your routine so that eventually you can experience a state of meditation and, and samadhi, a state of oneness. So the next limb of yoga is the one that we're most familiar with. It's asana. It's your posture practice. And um, in this way, I talked about how to sequence your own home practice. And there are several modules that I shared with, um, with the students who took my workshop. And I'll just mention them quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the best way to experience this 
is to come to my workshop when I do it again, or if you're a studio owner, um, hire me to come teach this <laughs> workshop for you. <laughs> and we'll have all the so, in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing you want to do is, is warm up. And Liz Alvarez would kill me if I didn't start my classes by warming up the spine in all six she directions. She's her in two weeks. Really? That's yeah, so you come. <laughs> oh, she's my favorite. Yeah. So warming up the spine in all six directions, forward fold, back bends, side bends, and twists. The second portion of your sequence are your neutrally standing poses, the poses in which the hips are square. So not wide hip, but square hip. This can include poses like chair or like low lunge. Mm -hmm. So thinking about your hip points and when they point forward to the front of your mat, those are your neutrally standing poses. The next module of sequencing is externally rotated poses. And again, we're talking about the hips here. So this is when your hips are wide, when your femur bones are externally rotating. So your femur bones are the long bone of the thigh when they're externally rotated. So the first posture that is generally introduced into a yoga sequence with an externally rotated sequence is warrior two. Yeah. So you can think about warrior two, goddess, wide-legged forward fold, maybe like surfer or mm -hmm. um, skandasana, maybe malasana. Mm -hmm. Those are all externally rotated. The next sequence is my favorite sequence and is often my peak pose <laughs> is balance. So we do a lot of balance poses in yoga and it's really hard to pick a favorite, but one of the ones that's really accessible and that people do often is tree pose. So if you think about tree pose, or half moon yeah. or warrior three mm -hmm. those are all balance poses then you have a category called seated heated seated, that comes heated. after <laughs> seated heated so think about the poses that you sit down but you're still sweating bullets or you are working with your breath to get deeper into the pose so think of pigeon mm. Think of hero's pose, mm -hmm. um, boat pose, boat pose. Mm -hmm. yep, exactly. So mm -hmm. all of these are seated heated poses. Then we have seated cooling postures, and these are, this is the time when you want to feel really good and long and stretched out. So things like Paschimottanasana, or the seated forward fold, mm -hmm. or Janu Sirsasana, which is a head to knee pose, um, which I always joke with my students, seems like a very large ask of the title of the pose, head to knee. <laughs> um, <laughs> or Baddha Konasana mm -hmm. or tortoise pose, those forward folds are very cooling. Yes. So when you think about those um, poses that really lengthen and cool down, that's what that's sort of the beginning of the end yeah. of your yoga mm -hmm. class. That's when everybody's like, oh, I'm I know. And so when <laughs> we get down, we're going the mat. Yeah. We're going down. <laughs> when we get down to the mat, I'm yeah. always like, celebrate, we made it. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, then, now you've made it past your cooling postures, you want to do your supine postures, mm -hmm. the postures on the back. So one of the most popular poses to do there is bridge pose or your twists mm. or your um, happy baby pose. Mm -hmm. All of these things are exist there. The last thing that's really, really important is Shavasana. Do not skip Shavasana in your home practice. Do not skip it. Don't skip it. <laughs> Don't do it's it. It's so important. And I will get back to why Shavasana is so important when we finish up the next limbs of yoga, but it's really important. The last thing I wanted to sprinkle in is core work because you can put core work literally anywhere, yeah. anywhere in your sequence. You can sprinkle that fairy dust anywhere. <laughs> um, my one caution would be when you're doing core work, you want to avoid doing back bends directly after your core work. And that is just to prevent spinal injury. Mm -hmm. In general, when you move the spine in one direction or the other, you want to take time between each kind of movement to neutralize the spine. And that doesn't mean hugging the knees into the chest. It means doing nothing. Mm -hmm. It means doing nothing. The other poses that are good choices for neutralizing the spine are tabletop and downward facing dog. So there are two different approaches to apply 
this sequence to. The first is I would like to move my body in all possible directions, in which case you might start with a body scan just to notice where you're feeling tension or to become mindful of the way that you've held your body all day. So like a lot of us sit at a desk and type. Mm. So what are the things that I wanna do in my sequence that will undo the conditioning that I've given my body at the office? Right, all day. All day. And do what you did all day. Or where do I feel specific tension today and how can I move my body to sort of work it out? Um, so, also, use your resources and learn a bit about anatomy so that you can choose poses that work for you. And my favorite anatomy book is The Key Muscles of Yoga by Ray Long. This book is fantastically accessible. And Ray Long is fantastic. And if you are having Liz on this program soon, she will talk about Ray Long. Um, more on my books later. <laughs> the second way to approach your practice is, are you practicing a peak pose? Are you working toward an arm balance? Are you working toward a flexibility pose, like split? Mm -hmm. Are you working toward like handstand or headstand? So the first thing I wanna say is if you are working toward a peak pose, please don't make your first attempt of that peak pose at home by yourself. Mm. Yes. Not the best plan, especially if we're talking about a pose that can be really injurious, like headstand, yeah. like handstand. Please make sure that you try those things in the studio with your teacher first, or you know, at home with a teacher first. Yeah. Somebody who knows what they're doing, right? Who has studied for at least two hundred hours to be able to supervise you in your first attempt at these things. Yes. Um, disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. So, what's the peak pose that you're working on, and? Try to use a body scan again to notice which muscles in that pose are active, and we call those poses agonists, and which muscles are stretching, we call those muscles antagonists, and which muscles are passive. So then you can run through your sequencing keeping in mind which muscles need to be stretched, so where your antagonists are, which muscles need to be warmed, where your agonists are, and you can use your resources to learn a bit more about anatomy so you can choose the poses <laughs> that work for you through your sequence. Amazing. So for the most part, that's what I talked about for asana. I did throw in one extra little goodie about props. Okay. Because not all of us own props. Not all of us studio. own props. Yes. Yeah, that we see in the yoga studio. So there are four props that are used all of the time in honor yoga studios. Blocks, bolsters, blankets, and straps. And so I gave a list of what could serve as each one of these props if you don't own them. So blocks could be books or chairs. Blankets any stiff supportive blanket or towel works i think beach towels are really great yeah. in place of blankets for bolsters couch cushions couch <laughs> cushions are really really great bolsters or any other like really stiff meaty pillow yeah and then for a strap this is easy a belt a towel yeah. a rope that thing that wraps around your waist in your um bathrobe amazing strap yeah. <laughs> yes if i had to recommend props to invest in i would say that a bolster is number one and blocks are number two mm. on my list and when you get a bolster get a flat bolster don't get a round one right there are there is a difference yes so thus concludes the third limb of yoga <laughs> asana right um, I lied to you. It doesn't conclude it. We, we, we'll, get, we'll get to the next couple of things. That, that concludes Patanjali's um, manifestation of what asana is. So the fourth limb is pranayama or breath control. Or if you want to get deeper into the Sanskrit, prana means energy, yama means restraint, like mm -hmm. we did before. So it's energy restraint. So... If you were to notice, how do you, how did you feel right before we started filming this podcast? 
Um, I get anxious before all the podcasts. There's no, no secret. And yeah, it's like my heart goes, you know, my, I get shortness of breath a little bit. Shortness of breath. Yeah, shortness right? of breath. So when you're in that sort of state, taking a deep breath is a signal to your parasympathetic nervous system that you need freaking help, right? <laughs> so yeah. even just a simple in and out breath is an amazing way to practice pranayama. In my workshop, I went through three different kinds of pranayama that are used, for, um, four different kinds of pranayama that are used pretty frequently in our yoga classes. The first one is ujjayi breath, mm -hmm. which is that restriction at the back of the throat, the ocean sounding breath. Then I did three part breath, which is um, an anatomical breath. So it's inhaling into your lowest lobes of the lungs, your middle lobes, and then your top lobes of the lungs, and then exhaling. Then I taught four part breath, which is the four parts are inhale, hold, exhale, hold. And you do them for counts that make them all the same. So you'd inhale for four, hold at the top for four, exhale for four, and hold at the bottom for four. And the last breath that I taught is really fun. It's the Kali breath. <laughs> and Kali breath is used in situations where we need a lot of abdominal engagement and because it is an exhale through the mouth it's actually quite cooling mm -hmm. so those those kali breaths are often used in poses where you're folding or where you're holding yourself up for a very long time using your your core muscles and those are pranayama techniques that are taught widely in classes at honor um, there are tons of yeah. different forms of pranayama so google is your friend if you would like to try any different kinds of pranayama and there are tons of beautiful people that make videos on youtube for free on pranayama so find somebody who you think looks trustworthy or <laughs> has high ratings i love you i can't <laughs> and you know just explore pranayama what's the worst thing that could happen is that you you know you breathe too fast? Okay. We can, we can fix that. Yeah, get a little lightheaded. All right, it's fine. So then we come to limb number five, which is pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. And I said that I would bring us back to shavasana. Previous limb. For this one specifically, yeah. So withdrawal of the senses. So when we lay in shavasana, we close our eyes, right? That's a sense withdrawal. Yeah. And sense withdrawal doesn't mean that you're like turning off your senses. Not possible. You can't just stop tasting, right? Yeah, you can't, no, we can't, you can't do just that. stop hearing things. What it is, is that you bring your attention so far inward that your senses and the information that they're bringing into your brain get further and further away. So like, have you ever been in a Shavasana where all of a sudden, like, you don't even hear the background music because you're just so tuned in. That is sense withdrawal. Yeah. And you can actively do this. And this is something that is taught in Yoga Nidra a lot. Mm -hmm. So the opening portions of Yoga Nidra are all about sense withdrawal. So um, one of the lines that I hear frequently in Yoga Nidra are... Um, hearing the sounds outside of you and then hearing the sounds that are inside your ear and then even going further within allowing those sounds that are inside your ear to even get further away from your attention so practicing that in your shavasana is what pratyahara is so we've done our asana we've done our pranayama we've done our shavasana for our pratyahara and now we're ready to sit for our intense focus or dharana. So this is where my study is gonna start to come out a little bit. And I know that people may disagree with me as we go through these last three limbs of yoga. And I know that when we talked about it at first, you were sort of surprised at some of I my was, interpretations. Yeah. yeah. So I want everyone to feel free to disagree. That's, that's great. I, I think that we're all smarter when people can freely voice their opinions right. because 
Um, that's how we gather information. But again, the reality is, is that the Yoga Sutras were written a really long time ago. Mm. Most of the Yoga Sutras are very, very short. And so there's a lot of room for interpretation here. A lot, yes. So dhatana or intense focus is actually what we practice as meditation. So when we sit in meditation, we sit in one-pointed focus or, or, or visualization or whatever kind of meditation that you practice, whether it's japa meditation, which is the, the repetition of a mantra using a mala or like a rosary, mm. um, or it's uh, a, another mantra meditation you can use your fingertips for, um, or if it's a breath-centered meditation or a body scan meditation, these are all one-pointed focus. Even when you're practicing asana, you can have one-pointed focus on your breath or on your hand or on your gaze. Those are all dharana. And for me, anyway, this is what meditating as a verb is. The next limb of yoga, dhyana, is a state of meditation. The state of meditation happens to you when you are doing your dharana, when you have intense focus, a state of meditation lands in your brain for however long or short of a time that is. So think about when you're meditating and your brain is going through its to-do list and you say, you know what, nope, to-do list, I'm letting you go. I know that this is my brain thinking and I'm just letting you go. And there's that moment of caught time, caught breath, where there's just nothing. That is meditation. That's your state of meditation. It's just landed on you because mm -hmm. you've been practicing your one-pointed focus. And Allison Hanks agrees with me, which is amazing. <laughs> so she lists eight limbs, one, you know, numbers one through six, as things that you do. And she labels meditation and our next one, samadhi, as things that happen to you. So some people would say that dhyana, the state of meditation, is actually just meditation. So that one-pointed focus and meditation are two separate things. I, I disagree. I think mm -hmm. that one-pointed focus is what we practice as meditation. And that the state of meditation, dhyana, is something that happens to you. The last limb of yoga, samadhi, is translated as a state of oneness. So just like we talked about Ishvara Pranidhana, this is your oneness with that higher power. Now for me, and this is where folks will certainly disagree with me, for me I don't think that samadhi is achievable in this vessel. I think that samadhi happens post-mortem. I think that samadhi is the literal union of your energy with the great pool of energy. Um, and that, I, I don't want it to sound morbid because I don't think that it is morbid. Yeah. And I think that there are so many different interpretations of what that can mean for you um, or for people that you love, because this is that's really where this gets touchy, right? Yeah. Is thinking about people that you love and, and those attachments, actually, right. right? But I think that samadhi is sort of like the ultimate bliss. It is releasing this vessel and going back to join the, the big pool of light. Right. So that's what I believe samadhi is. Yeah, raising the soul into the universe. Exactly. Is one way you can... Think about it. Exactly. So, um, for me, one through seven happen here on this planet, and and eight happens in the ether, um, and I think that that's beautiful. So those are the eight limbs of yoga. Um, I wanted to answer one question that I actually skipped a little bit. Where and when? Do you practice yoga? <laughs> Where and when do you practice yoga? So, the truth is, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Are you standing at your desk for five minutes and you have five minutes to breathe or do some pranayama? Oh, do it. 
Yeah. Um, my friend uh, Meg Ryan, Meg Carugno now, she does her pranayama on her commute to work in the car driving. She does her pranayama for the day in the okay. car driving. Um, if you are sitting in your desk chair and you throw a shin up on the desk and do a pigeon pose, there's an asana. You did it. Amazing. Yes. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I do a lot of that at, at work too. Yeah, it's so important. Even sitting all day, like you said, typing, you need to get up and you need to move the body. You do. And if you don't, you get stiff and yeah. it's painful. It is painful to sit at a desk mm -hmm. all day. So. Iyengar, who is widely considered to be the father of modern yoga, he developed props. Um, he was considered as a child to be too sickly to be trained in yoga. So Raja Yoga, which is one path of yoga, it's the path of yoga that we follow as yogis that mm -hmm. practice asana. Raja Yoga was originally taught guru to student one-on-one -on -one, and there were lineages so this guru would teach the student and that student would become the guru and that guru would choose a new student and it was always for young boys and they started young and they needed to be fit healthy and sought after as you know this person was going to be the next guru and Iyengar was actually a very sickly youth and he was considered unfit to be trained in yoga which is silly because mm -hmm. if you read his book, you will see him doing just ridiculous things with his body. So the fact that he was considered to be too sickly to practice yoga is, is unfathomable once you learn what his life looked like. Yeah. So he developed props and he was also the first guru to take on a female student which is super cool. <laughs> so anyway, he has a lot to say about practicing yoga. And disclaimer, this book is old. This book <laughs> is old and can sometimes feel a little, little hard not hard to understand. It's, it's just maybe not so inclusive. Maybe it's a, maybe it feels a little non-inclusive okay. and, and that could just be me. That's okay. If it's just me. <laughs> Um, but Iyengar makes some pretty clear recommendations about practicing yoga. He says that the best time to practice is either early in the morning or late in the evening. And he says, don't practice after being out in the hot sun for several hours. <laughs> Sorry, stand up paddleboard yoga <laughs> instructors. <laughs> Asana should be practiced in a clean, airy place, free from insects and noise. And do not practice on an uneven surface or on a bare floor, use a mat or a blanket. So what Iyengar is trying to do by recommending these times and regulations on space is to reduce the amount of mental chatter that might occur. So like if you're practicing yoga in a clean, quiet space, your mind is less likely to be like, oh shit, I didn't vacuum. Yeah. You know? <laughs> If there's a bug that runs past your mat, I don't know about you, but I'm like out. <laughs> yeah, that would totally take my focus away. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else, please catch it and release it outside. Thank you. Um, so yeah, he makes several recommendations also about bathing, food intake, using or not using a mirror and asana for special circumstances, including what he believes to be appropriate postures for women who are menstruating. Mm. So again, this might feel a little dated and a little non-inclusive, yeah. but it's better than what they had before. <laughs> and it is an important secondary text. So I do recommend reading it and taking from it what you, what you can. Um, and this sort of leads me into the last portion of, um, of this packet that I designed, which I can't believe is 20 pages long. <laughs> I have cool. a suggest, thank you. I have a suggested reading list. So on my suggested reading list is Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Again, there are so many translations, but I really like this one by Sri Swami Sachidananda. The next book is actually a little bit on the expensive side but I can't tell you how valuable this has been in, in my teaching. 
It's called the Yoga Teacher's Toolbox and it's by Joseph and Lillian Lepage. And on each page there, well they do have some sequences already for you, but on each page you'll find a pose. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your help. You'll find a pose and all of these different variations of the pose. And then on the back of the page you'll find cueing. So it tells you how to get into the pose and it tells you what the pose is good for. And this is sort of like the best home practice guide without actually having a teacher with you that you can buy. So if you have the means to invest in it and you're interested in investing in it, that's, I highly recommend it. Um, then I have the key muscles of yoga, which we already looked at. Again, I'll just do this. And then, uh, this is my favorite. Everybody yoga. So Jessamine Stanley is just a gem. She is beautiful and capable and has a very non-traditional body type for yoga. And that is to say a non-traditional body type for the media of yoga and she has been incredibly successful as a teacher, as a writer. She has a new podcast out. She's also a really amazing person. And she followed me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but she says in an article that she wrote for Cosmopolitan recently that her home practice set her free and that dedicating herself to a home asana practice allowed her to explore postures in a way that, quote, broke the rules. And this is really important for people who don't feel at home in a yoga studio. I think that Honor does a really great job of making sure that our students feel cared for and that every age, shape, injury, illness, gender, whatever feels welcome in our through our front doors yeah. but let's be honest again here i am a skinny white chick talking to you about yoga and what we really need are more people like jessamine stanley who will stand up and talk about yoga and do poses that i can't even dream about doing um she's incredible and so everybody should read everybody yoga it's certainly transformed the way that i teach a class and it has given me more tools linguistically to help my students feel more included. Hmm. Yeah, and we're going to um, include the um, reading list in our show notes, so if you can't jot them down or anything, they'll be in the show notes as well. Um, and that was my wrap-up, actually. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Stole it from you. So, you know what I'll ask? Well, as we wrap up... Um, when we were talking, you were telling about some advice that you got from teachers that really um, you keep very close to your heart. So we'll just wrap up with that. That's great. <laughs> so I've gotten two really beautiful pieces of advice from teachers that I greatly admire. Um, the first piece of advice is just roll out your mat. Just roll it out. Roll it out somewhere where you have to stare at it and, and the rest it. trip over it. <laughs> And the rest of your practice will come because you'll look at it and you'll be like, mm, I can, I can sit on this. And then you'll be like, mm, I can side bend on this, you know, and then it kind of evolves from there. The second piece of advice I got from my good friend, Raya Dikas, who's a beautiful person and I love her to death. She's, she is many, many, many things to many people. Um, but she told me, you always have time for what you put first. And how true that is, right? If we wake up 20 minutes early so that we can practice some yoga, or if we go to bed 20 minutes late so we can practice some yoga, maybe our day will be 100% better for those 20 to 40 minutes that you've made time to do this. Mm. And if this is your priority, you will do it. So just put it first, put yourself first. That's really good advice. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming and 
sharing so much knowledge that you have and just being candid too about it. Oh, you're I welcome. Just, <laughs> um, I just really like that, you know, I was so excited for this podcast. Yay. Um, so everyone, we're going to put all the information in the show notes. We're going to put the uh, suggested reading. We're going to put um, Sarah's information if you would like to um, contact Sarah. Um, also her um, Instagram handle. So you could follow her. And... Um, and maybe yeah. Jessamine Stanley will follow you too. <laughs> We're gonna tag her. <laughs> We're gonna find her. <laughs> uh, so as we wrap up, everyone, um, don't forget um, subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when all of our new episodes air. Right, and to keep up on everything on our yoga trends in yoga and much more. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Amy Taza. Have a great night. <laughs>